you ready? I am, yeah. All right, All right. well, let's go. Charlton Thorpe just nodded at me. That means it's time to go. Charlton says it's happening. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Kyle Rizdahl. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Matt Levin, in for Kimberly Adams. Thanks everybody for joining us. It is Monday, February 5th. Monday, Monday, Monday. We are going to do some news, as we always do, uh, and then a quick smile or two, uh, and then we will send you on your merry way. Matt Levin, what do you like for the news? Uh, yesterday was a prominent birthday in the history of 21st century technology. Did you celebrate the birthday I am referencing here, Kai? Uh, honestly, I did not know until I read the rundown for this podcast this morning, so no. Yesterday was the 20th birthday of Facebook. I guess 20 years ago uh, on Sunday, Mark Zuckerberg and his friends in that Harvard dorm Launch Facebook. Uh, Kai, do you remember your first interaction with oh, Facebook? Oh, wow. Uh, first of all, I didn't know there was going to be a test, so that's not fair. <laughs> uh, My apologies. I, I, I don't think I do. I was never hardcore into Facebook, and, and I have left that part of the meta empire uh, many years behind. I still do Instagram. But, yeah, no, not really. Yeah. It was never a huge thing for me. I think part of this is generational. Hmm. So um, Facebook came out when I was in undergrad. Um, hmm. And it kind of transformed the college experience. Wow. At least, at, yeah, at least for me, and I think for certain millennials of a certain age, um, I I think it's pretty common to feel that way. And I just want to harp on two things that I think have change since Facebook hit mm -hmm. that I think are still with us today in terms of how it impacts our social interactions. I remember when it first came out in undergrad, nobody liked it. Like the, the immediate hmm. reaction from all my friends and people on campus, there wasn't like, oh, awesome, Facebook is here. But it was more of a begrudging acceptance of Hmm. Yeah, we all kind of need to be on this because of essentially information asymmetries, right? You don't know where the good party is, at least back then, without a Facebook <laughs> e uh, event invite, right? You don't know if that person you like from your anthropology class is single, unless you ask them, which nobody did, Um unless you looked it up on Facebook. So what was really interesting back then is no one seemed super enthusiastic about it. And you can kind of see that to this day when you see new technologies being introduced, there's like a begrudging like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, ugh, mm -hmm. like what is, I, I know I'm going to have to use this, but I'm not sure I'm happy about it. You see that with AI, obviously. Yeah, and you see, I mean, look, even even with the, I mean, literally everything, right? I remember getting on yes. Twitter in 2009 going, God, this is yes. stupid, but I have to be here. You That's know? right. That's right. And I think that, Facebook was a shift in that because I remember, like, remember when the iPad came out I or do. iPad, the iPod, yeah, um, which shows how old I am. But yes. like, people were genuinely excited for it. There was a, like a, a positive sentiment towards it. Um, that, that Facebook, not so much. Yeah, totally. And you know, sorry, go ahead. Go, no, no, you go. Well, I was just going to say the generational thing is interesting because um, my kids now and the old, my oldest son is twenty five. He like Facebook, what? You know? Yeah. He doesn't that, that like that era, and and my daughter now is sixteen, right? She's like, yeah, no, no. 
Yeah, which brings me to my second point, which was, and we'll put this in the show notes, but the Wall Street Journal did a nice little rundown of all the various Facebook milestones since Mm -hmm. it launched 20 years ago. And the decision to acquire Instagram for a billion dollars in 2012, which a lot of people thought Zuckerberg overpaid back then, probably the smartest decision the company ever made. Because to, to your point... Facebook is kind of the boomer, uh, older generation social media platform now. And Instagram is still skews younger. Obviously, TikTok is eating into that. um, But there's a younger demographic there. I think your other observation here that you put in the rundown is a really astute one. Today's FTC, I don't know about a, a Republican Federal Trade Commission, but today's FTC would not have allowed that purchase to happen. Never. You know, not a chance in the world. No, never. That's right. Lena Khan, I mean, that's, I. they are learning the lessons from that era yep. that they look back and they say, well, was Facebook acquiring Instagram good for competition in the social media landscape? Was it good for consumers? And Lena Khan would probably tell you no. Yeah, so absolutely. it's there's, a totally different environment. Yeah, I think you take the qualifier out of that. Qualifier out of that. There's there's no probably about what Lena Khan would have said about yeah. Facebook buying Instagram. You know, I I think that's right. Not a chance um, in the world. All right, that's all right. that's it for my millennial nostalgia tour. Well, what do you got? Well, all right, well there you go. Uh, so mine, and I, and I think this resonated with me just because there is a child in my house, the aforementioned sixteen year old daughter. Who's taking the ACT on Sunday? So this is very, very, it's it's very present. Story by David Leonhardt in the New York Times today, uh, ahead of the Dartmouth announcement this morning, that they're going to reinstate a requirement for standardized testing in the Dartmouth admissions process. And and David Leonhardt is a super thoughtful guy. You can disagree with him or agree with him, take your pick. But he's like one of the three human beings I know who can speak in a fully formed paragraph, topic sentence and all. Um, <laughs> he, I, he's, he's, it's uncanny that way. I'm, I'm super jealous. <laughs> Um, but it was really interesting to read this article and why Dartmouth is doing this. The short version, the TLDR of it, is that Dartmouth found, after doing a bunch of research with data and, and Dartmouth faculty members who are, are skilled in these subject areas, that disadvantaged kids were not reporting scores that, while lower than Dartmouth's average SAT score, would still have gotten them admission because Dartmouth understands that they come from disadvantaged communities. And I think that's really interesting because the 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 criticism has always been that SAT scores advantage the advantaged kids much more. And there is still some data that shows that. But the idea that, that disadvantaged kids are not reporting because they think their scores don't measure up without understanding the entirety of the process speaks to the opacity of that process. But also... You know, these scores do these kids some good, and, and that's what Dartmouth is all about. It was super interesting, super, super interesting article. David's very thoughtful. I totally recommend it. We'll put it on the show page. Um, and, uh, and you know, my 16-year-old now is in hell for another, like, five or six days, and then she gets to be done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. I, I thought that story was super, super interesting, yeah. too. I'm curious, where, where do you think this ends up? Like, five years from now, are we back to where we yeah. were with yeah. requirements? Yeah. yeah. You think I that's think where so. this I, goes? I, I, I totally do. I totally do. It's a data yeah. point. The schools want data points. There will be hue and cry. Much of it deserved about the the, the socioeconomic disparities. Yeah. Um, and maybe we can work toward fixing that somehow and providing access to uh, tutoring programs and, and all of that jazz, right? SAT prep and all that. Um, but I don't. I don't. I, I think it was a COVID-inspired change. 
that will not last through the post-pandemic era. Yeah, you, it's yet another pandemic social development right, right, that seems right. to be dissipating. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. Smiles, Charlton. Button push. There we go. Charlton hates me. What do you got, man? You you go first, Kai, because right. I think mine is the so, smile of all smiles. Well, that so that's go true. Ahead. So look, this is a little dorky, but I'm just going to do it anyway. So uh, I wake up this morning. And uh, I read all yesterday's coverage, and I saw a little bit of this last night. Coverage of Jay Powell, the chairman of the Fed, on 60 Minutes, which aired last night, saying, we're not going to cut interest rates until we have lots more data. And the Internet, you know, my Twitter feed was was abuzz with it. And then this morning, the markets opened down 250 points on the Dow, which is like seven, eight tenths percent, not a whole bunch. But, you know, a lot of red ink as as it goes, as you're watching mm-hmm. the CNBC screen go by. And it's because Powell said he wasn't going to cut interest rates without more data, which is what he said on Wednesday. And we all said it then. And oh, my God, are the markets idiots. <laughs> Jesus. He literally. So so look. So so on, on Wednesday, Powell was wearing. And I noted this because Nancy Vergali, the producer of Marketplace, and I have a little running joke about what Powell wears on press conference days and purple ties and all this. Powell was wearing a blue suit and a purple tie. The next day, 60 Minutes releases stills from the interview, and it's the same purple tie, and it's the same blue suit. He went from the mm. press conference where he said, I'm not going to cut interest rates without more data, to an interview in which he said, I'm not going to cut interest rates without more data. And everybody goes, oh, my God, it's news. The pal said this. I, I cannot even with freaking all of this stuff. Just very frustrating. And I realize that's not it, a smile. That's more of a rant, but it's my podcast. <laughs> I can do what I want. It's, it, it's the same thing many that's right. times. That's Is right. They, is there any chance Jay Powell is just a one suit guy? <laughs> no, no, I don't. No. I, don't I don't think so. Powell's, <laughs> Powell's been around for a long time in those circles. He, unlike me, a public radio guy who has exactly zero suits now, he has one sport coat and a pair of pants. Uh, Powell has many suits and many ties. Nice. Yeah, Jay. You don't have a you don't have a suit. I I had so look. All my ties are too wide. They are out of fashion. And the suits that I have no longer, they don't, they don't work anymore. They're not skinny. They're not slim or any of that jazz. They just don't. I've got suits, but they're all freaking, you know, 15-year-old suits. I, I have like a double-breasted, like Dave Letterman type suit there that I go. bought in like my early 20s. I look like an NBA draft prospect <laughs> from like the mid-90s. It's awesome. Um, oh, okay, I right, will uh, jump in on my... Make me so- sorry. Make me smile. Thank you, Marissa, for passing this one along. Uh, it's the Puppy Bowl, Kai. It's the Puppy oh. Bowl. I, I did- yes, Sunday is the Puppy Bowl. Obviously, this is the uh, direct competitor to the Super Bowl, except with puppies. Is it better? Um, yes, and we'll put in the show notes a link to the adoptable dogs you can see in the puppy bowl they're very 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 cute and i you know janet uh had a really nice write-up about the puppy bowl uh last year and kind of the marketing opportunities of the puppy bowl too so we'll put that in the show notes as well for sure puppy bowl is just good no no taylor swift no tail no travis kelsey (laughs) just puppies (laughs) just puppies all right, yeah. we're out of here. Uh, tomorrow we're doing a Tuesday show, one topic, uh, one thing. We're talking about what's going on at the border right now. Oh, my goodness. Um, and why immigration reform is so hard. And sadly, it's only going to be a half-hour show, so we're not going to get into all of it because that's like 14 PhD theses. Yeah. 
Uh, until until then, keep the comments and questions coming. You can leave us a message at 508-UB-SMART or email make me smart at marketplace.org. on a Monday. This podcast, which is called Make Me Smart, is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's program was engineered by checking, yes, Charlton Thorpe, still across from me, behind the bulletproof, soundproof glass. Is it bulletproof? I don't know. We're never going to find out. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is to Liam and Jocko. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. I wonder if it's even soundproof. Is it soundproof? I mean, there's like an air gap in there, but... I would think so. Charlton's in my ear now going, I don't know, man. I don't know.